power on. Earth, 2018. The alliance between governments and tech giants has led to the rise of the surveillance society, distraction technology, the attention wars, and the erosion of your mind. But one show stands against this insidious system. Hosted by the podcast champion, the man of tomorrow, the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. He and his co-hosts form the intellectual resistance. It's time for Sovereign Tech. The man that some call their own personal P.T. Barnum, bringing happiness into the world. Well, not always happiness, but I try, goddammit. <laughs> if you've been listening for the past seven years to this show, I fucking try. But <laughs> anyway, it is Sovereign Tech, where you can get your latest and greatest news as far as tech and science goes. And you are being joined by the Golden Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Sabzu, the rated R radio star, the thriller that is Sabzilla, the podcast champion, baby, because nobody does it better. And you know it. Now, I got to tell you, you, let me tell you how I know I do it better, because for fuck's sake, you know, I effectively do this show live every week. Effectively. I mean, I release it usually a few minutes after I record it. But what kills me is, is that, you know, sometimes, so Sovereign Tech, as of now, or as the past couple months, we move the release day to Sunday. Sometimes in that time frame, I haven't always been able to make that Sunday and it ends up coming out on a Monday. Now, the funny damn thing about that is, is that everyone, or not everyone, but a lot of people are just like, holy shit, where's my Sovereign Tech? Oh, it's, you know, it's Monday. Why didn't it come out on Sunday? Blah, 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 blah. You know, look, <laughs> I love you and I really love you. And I'm so honored that people just cannot wait to hear this show every week. And I know, I know you can't wait. So I'm not insulting you. I'm just saying, pay attention to the rest of the podcast world. If you're like me and you listen to other podcasts, what have you been going through throughout, uh, you know, our, our Saturnalia slash calendar season, um, you know, or what they call the holidays. And they have some other weird names that they're given these days. But regardless, what have you been dealing with? How many live, how many new episodes, not the ones that were pre-recorded two weeks ago or ones that are just like a compilation episode of the year of 2018 or some kind of bullshit. Okay. How many new podcasts do you get to actually hear? 
very few everybody's like on fucking vacation well the golden stallion doesn't take a vacation baby i'm on for you i'm ready to go every single week you got the hotness and it's here baby the podcast champion doesn't let you down it doesn't matter how hot of a weekend he has how much of a great time that he has you know where he man maybe maybe he's just been he's just been going all night long for days having the time of his life and where most podcasters most people would just fall over and say oh i just gotta watch some tv oh i gotta do this no 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 the golden stallion's here and he's on in the middle of the night whenever it needs to happen and he delivers the goods for you every single week for seven years baby sovereign tech is here to get you the hookup with what is happening in tech so anyway (laughs) (laughs) if the things if only i could tell you (laughs) Uh, uh, oh such you know as this is the last episode of sovereign tech for 2018 looking a little bit back on 2018 and for our main story we're gonna get we're gonna do a little checkup on how we're doing as far as tech goes in the year 2018 ce or maybe uh my personal favorite 12,018 he right housing calendar or housing era i'm gonna call it straight with you 2018 was kind of a rough year for the Golden Stallion. It really was. But at the end of it all, all I can tell you is I am one of the happiest. I No, I'm not one. I am the happiest man alive. And one day, everyone will figure out why. <laughs> but I am just the happiest man alive, baby. And ready, let, let's do it. Let's get into this. And, you know, to close out 2018, what better can you do? then talk about woo, star trek okay <laughs> no we're not exactly going to talk about star trek uh but our, our lead story is relative to star trek which by the way i can't wait it, of course if you're not a patron for sovereign tech you don't get to hear about all this but i do a specific sometimes it goes two hours long uh what i call the star trek update where it's a show it's an episode only on patreon where i just cover all the latest news and i do all the reviews for anything going on in star trek you know we're and all the short tracks that have been coming out and everything uh but what is it january 17th i think on cbs all access we'll finally get season two of discovery we're gonna in fact i'm looking at it right now i just got my new model of uh, of the the ncc 1701 the original enterprise uh that that they showed at the end of, of oh boy spoiler alerts that they showed at the end of season one <laughs> discovery but we already know a season two i mean we're getting captain pike we're getting spock in the whole thing it's going to be amazing i really can't wait for that and if you want to hear my reviews of that stuff because that'll be coming up fast you want to make sure that you're a patron of course just go to sovereigntech.com to get your hook up with that uh so anyway you know let but let's get into our story of the week and this is coming from a source that i rarely read from but i'll admit i often read uh and that is market watch marketwatch.com uh, which i think is like a subsidiary of nasdaq but let's break it down here and don't worry it's not gonna be like last week where i did one topic for the whole episode but i'm honored that so many people it was episode 307 called the end with a question mark uh so many people just love that episode i'm really honored by that don't worry we're gonna get into a ton of we're gonna have all your segments on uh this week so anyway this is from market watch uh opinion and it's by vivek wadwa I, I don't know if i'm pronouncing that name right but anyway this is the title is this is how our lives are going to be more like star trek and this is really hot just end of december 2018 here as far as when the story came out uh it says here's the the subheader communicator tricorder video chat and electronic translator are already reality 
So basically, the gist here is that a lot of the technologies that you experience in Star Trek, right down to the Starship Enterprise, are either here or on their way. I want to read it, and then I want to break down perhaps the reality. I think this is a good check-in. Okay, to do on where we stand as far as tech, you know, I mean, going into really the 2020s when I think, you know, even 20 years ago, people would have expected things to look wildly different. I mean, what did Back to the Future or Blade Runner say uh, that, you know, that the 2020s was supposed to look like or well, Back to the Future took place. What was that? 2015? I mean, well, just look at that. I mean, that's already come and gone when Back to the Future 2 was taking place. So anyway. Um, I think this is a good thing, you know, good, good metric, good gauge. Let, let's see how we're doing here, uh, you know, as, as far as tech goes, because Silicon Valley tech execs and so on. I like I remember the the very the classic at the D4 conference. Boy, what was that back? 2007, something like that, where Walt Mossberg had Steve Jobs and Bill Gates back when Steve Jobs is still alive. Uh, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. Maybe it had to be later in 2007, but you know, had them both on the stage getting interviewed and Steve Jobs, you know, they were asking like Walt Moss, Mossberg made a comment about Star Trek and Steve Jobs just says, oh, just give me Star Trek. Just give me Star Trek. And we know how much Bill Gates and a lot of Microsoft has always been pushing for that as well. Uh, so, you know, th- this is this is definitely Star Trek is really inspirational for a lot of people in Silicon Valley and where they're trying to take that tech. But I think there's something to say around that. But let's read this story and then we can kind of break it down. Uh, Here we go. When I first met Elon Musk in March 2012, he told me that he planned to build spaceships and retire on Mars. We had all been drinking that evening, so I thought it was the wine. I have since learned that he was dead serious. Musk fancies himself a modern-day James T. Kirk, captain of the fictional Starship USS Enterprise. He is building not only the Tesla terrestrial sustainable transport vehicles, but also spaceships for interplanetary travel. Okay, uh, just a stallion breaking in quick on, on that. Uh, that's an insult to both William Shatner and the fictional character of James T. Kirk to say that Elon Musk is in any fucking way Captain Kirk. I am so sorry. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> Just not not even remotely close. Uh, because Captain Kirk actually, like, has some morality, uh, you know, and is heroic as to where Elon Musk is just an asshat. Who gets to play pretend playboy with uh, a lot of your tax dollars? You know, because, I mean, if if there was ever... A fucking government welfare queen. <laughs> he is he is at the top of the list. His cars suck, and I well, I mean, I guess SpaceX is doing something, but I don't know if I'd want to exactly hand them over the keys to hey, build us a starship, baby. <laughs> you know, take take me to. I mean, and it's of course, oh, like I bring up all the time. It's not like we're gonna leave our solar system or anything. He's not exactly building Starship Enterprise. Anyway, I get it. You know, this is like a hot take, and putting Star Trek in the title of something gets attention. Like it got my attention. Like, oh, really? What are you saying here? But anyway, let, let's let's keep going. I'll, I'll stop ripping on Elon Musk. I, you know, I've been doing that for years. Anyway, uh, the amazing future we saw in Star Trek could arrive 300 years ahead of the TV show's timeline. Uh, Stanley breaking in, of course, again, uh, you know, Star Trek, well, depending upon which show you're watching, either takes place in like the 22nd century, the 23rd century, or of course, like the next generation, the 24th century. We're presently in the 21st. So more or less referencing the next generation, DS9 and Voyager. Moving on. Technologies are advancing at an incredible pace and in some cases are more advanced than the enterprises now that comment's kind of accurate 
I could imagine, I could think of a couple things where, yeah, Star Trek didn't think that one up and we built it and it's pretty advanced. Uh, but regardless, let, let's keep moving on here. So because there's actually a big rub in all of this that I want to get to. So reading on, uh, Captain Kirk's communicator, for instance, didn't receive email, play music, surf the web, provide uh, directions, or take photos. It also didn't tell you jokes, as Google Assistant does. It was an inspiration for the 1990s flip phones, which have evolved into smartphones, far more advanced than the communicator. Oh, I can't wait to get to the rub on this. Do you remember the tricorder? He keeps going. Do you remember the tricorder, the handheld medical instrument that Dr. McCoy used for checking a patient's health? Try the new Apple Watch. It will detect aerial, uh, or sorry, atrial uh, fibrillation, hypertension, sleep apnea, and even diabetes. Apple plans to turn our smartphones into medical tricorders, as do Go- as does Google, Microsoft, Samsung, and others. One New Delhi startup, HealthCubed, has developed a portable compact medical device that provides more than 40 measures and tests, including blood pressure, electrocardiography, blood oxygenation, heart rate variability, blood sugar, and urine protein, and is able to diagnose diseases such as HIV, AIDS, syphilis, uh, dengue fever, and malaria. Dr. McCoy's, uh, Dr. McCoy's tricorder didn't do blood and urine tests as HealthCube does. Um, that's inaccurate, but I don't expect this guy to really know that, you know, that like, all right, I'm going to say this part quick because this is relevant to the tricorder. The tricorder didn't need to do those tests because it could test you without you peeing on it. Like, like it could just scan your urine. Okay. It didn't have to do a test. It didn't have to put something on a platen for, you know, uh, for, for it to get detected or whatever. It just, it, it did it non-invasively right with the little scanner maybe that McCoy would hold up and to say nothing of the fact that he's and I'm I mean I'm really maybe nitpicking a bit but like he's talking about 23rd century versions of technology but then he's saying 300 years ahead of time he's kind of screwing up which Star Trek he's talking about here the next generation or uh, you know the original series but does that really matter no I mean the, the points and the problems actually uh, I let that out of the bag the problems with what this guy's saying will, will be apparent here soon um, we already have reading on we already have Star Trek like video chat capabilities on our smartphones with Skype WhatsApp and FaceTime and these don't require the large clunky monitors that we saw in Star Trek uh, Star Trek replicators would print food and everyday objects in seconds today's 3D printers are version 0.1 of this technology able to to create objects in plastic, metal, glass, titanium, and human cells, through, though painfully slowly. Give them a few years, and they will become as fast and inexpensive as our laser document printers are. By 2030, we can expect to be 3D printing our dinner as well as our electronics. Uh, I'll break in on that one for a second. That might be a little hopeful. In fact, we have had, I've had guests on in the past, wonderful guests, who have uh, d- did a pretty thorough thrashing on where 3D printing is at. And even calling it zero point version 0.1 is being pretty gracious. And to say by 2030 it's going to be this or that, yeah, I don't know. Uh, anyway, moving on. Wasn't it strange that no matter what planet the crew from Star Trek visited, everyone seemed to speak English? This was made possible by the Universal Translator, a device on the lapel of their shirts. Google and Microsoft Translator Translator apps are already doing this across dozens of languages. They also let you hold your phone camera 
over foreign text and have it translated instantly into a script you recognize. To prepare for our interactions with the Klingon Empire, Microsoft has readied a translator that supports the Klingon language and script. Uh, the holodecks we saw in Star Trek were mind-blowing. The crew would walk into an otherwise empty room and experience a different vista. Try out the HTC Vive, Oculus, or PlayStation Virtual Reality headsets, and you will realize that holodecks are only a few years away. The first time I used the Vive, I almost had a heart attack because I lost my footing at the top of Mount Everest. Okay, I'm going to break in on that one. There's a there's an overall point I'm going to get to with all these, but this one has a specific point that I want to touch on, and that has to do with virtual reality. Now, I am supportive of virtual reality. I am someone who I am excited about what that technology can do and how it can help the human condition, as well as where it can sit entertainment-wise. Um, virtual reality generally only works, or it seems anyway, to be more acceptable to people when, especially when it comes to entertainment and other things, when it is using a anthropomorphized or a not so realistic version of the world. Like people are enjoying the more artistic and shall we say low res or lower graphic, you know, like people like eight bit representations of each other, any attempt at being realistic, they, they don't even want to bother with it. Uh, it's, it's, it, I don't think, I don't know what the name is for that effect. If there's even an, a name for it yet, but uh, VR is here to stay, which is great. You know, that was proven in 2017, but the shape that VR is going to take may not actually be like your ready player one or star trek holodeck style affair where it's just meant to look that much more real and so on uh it seems more that everything is more purpose-built and not uh, i mean again th this gets down to well okay so sovereign tech lists patrons of sovereign tech have listened to the user podcast which is a separate podcast series that i do highly produced uh scripted i mean it's it's my version effectively of cosmos or the day the universe changed um and I did a breakdown of like simulation theory, completely debunking it or, well, I don't know about completely. You can't exactly completely, but doing a fair job of debunking it. And there was a study in 2017 that I referenced where they said, you know, just what it would take to simulate uh, not just the universe, but, you know, even even just like a person and things like this, like to a really high degree to where you could think that you're within sim the simulation hypothesis, which is the idea that you really you and I are effectively in some future humans, uh, uh, you know, version of the Sims and that life isn't actually real. Now, I, in my opinion, that's nonsense. OK, but uh, I mean, if you want to hear my debunking of it, you can listen to the user podcast, become a patron at the five dollar level and up. Uh, but regardless of that, OK. This guy is just as foolish who wrote this, just as foolish as Elon Musk is, who thinks that, oh, well, just because we went from Pong to, I don't know, Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within or something. OK, the movie, by the way, you know, just because we went from that to that inside of a few decades, that somehow just automatically there is no stop. There is no end to the upward march of graphical prowess and, you know, in computer power. Uh, that is that part, at the very least, I can tell you, is completely untrue. There are limitations to what a computer can do. There are so many atoms in the universe within which to even build a computer that could possibly do half, you know, half of the stuff. The holodeck's a great idea, but the holodeck itself, you know, to operate in the way that where, like, say you could, I don't know, like, like you're Tasha Yar and you're fighting a uh, an Aikido 
you know, practitioner or something like a ninja shows up and she's fighting it or Worf is fighting, you know, some uh, he's in one of his battle simulations and he's actually fighting as in he, you know, throws his axe at it or, you know, his batleth and everything. And they actually end up getting cut in half. You know, there, there's like something happens when when they hit you, you feel it and all that that requires transporter technology right like like that requires phasing in matter and all this stuff. like i mean no the holodeck's not going to happen not like that i mean it's just not because you'd also the holodeck is really only possible when you also figure out the transporter now the guy does kind of get to that and i want i want to read about that because well again there's there's a big rub to all this um reading on the most incredible Star Trek technology was the transporter. Here we go. Beam me up, Scotty, was all that Kirk had to say to his chief engineer to find himself transported to the spaceship from a nearby planet. The transporter converted physical objects and people into an energy pattern, beamed them to a target, and reconverted these into matter. Even on this, we have made progress. Scientists have made significant breakthroughs in quantum teleportation, uh, duplicating the spin state of an electron between one place and another through quantum tunneling. With out transmitting matter or energy through the space intervening. The distance record is held by China, which teleported matter as far as 1,200 kilometers using its uh, Misius satellite. This is a technology that I have no interest in using, however. There is no way that I will willingly allow my atoms to be disintegrated in one location and reassembled in another. I would worry about a software bug or a hardware crash. We saw those too in Star Trek. I am content with my self-driving Tesla and looking forward to the drones that will soon transport us between cities. Uh, okay, I mean, doing that and then having the computational power to like put everything back together just so okay transporting quantum you know like like the spins of electrons through quantum teleportation like that's kind of interesting but then reassembling everything because what what that solves is okay so <laughs> this is one of the big deals of the transporter one of the the odd uh, uh, moral or ethical problems with star trek is that when you transport when someone's just, you know commander Riker or whoever steps into the transporter on the transporter pad and beams down to a planet um you know the computer reassembles okay like all that it, it turns all that matter into energy and then reassembles it down onto the planet now that's different than quantum teleportation those are two different things but the question with teleportation in star trek is is like wait is that actually the same person because did they use the exact same matter in the transporter buffer and i mean there's all kinds of problems with this like so you know effectively like that could that's technically like a clone or it could be i mean like there are huge ethical issues with the transporter that no one ever brings up on star trek which is fine i mean it's just fiction okay i mean it's very inspirational fiction but it is it is and some of it has come to reality but it is fiction um Quantum teleportation is different than that because I'm guessing that's running off of some degree of, you know, quantum entanglement and so so on. So, like, you are actually transmitting the exact same thing to wherever it's going or teleporting it to wherever it's going. Um, but regardless of that, none of that equates to that you could do that with a human or because China sure as hell hasn't or that this would somehow make the holodeck possible. OK, because the energy that that takes, um, as well as the computational power to bring something together, those are 
those are things well beyond our grasp right now. But it's an interesting point to bring up. I mean, I'll give him credit for being so fanciful about it. Anyway, reading on. Uh, yes, the flying cars we saw on TV, too, are coming, and they will take the form of human transportation drones, such as those China's Ehang is testing in Dubai. Okay, whatever. Uh, the most exciting Star Trek Marvel of all, the Starship Enterprise, is also on its way. Musk's company, SpaceX, has built heavy reusable rockets docked to spacecraft at the International Space Station and returned with cargo. Musk tweeted Christmas Eve that his first spaceship would feature Raptor engines and come in stainless steel. Okay, Uh, he isn't alone. Billionaires such as Richard uh, Branson and Jeff Bezos are also building their own spacecraft. So we are on the cusp of creating the amazing future we saw in science fiction. The challenge for humanity is to make sure that it doesn't self-destruct along the way. We have to make sure that we use technology wisely and equitably so that all benefit from it. And then and we must gain greater autonomy rather than dependence. Okay, so the funny thing is here he is arguing for for autonomous cars, and yet he's saying we need greater autonomy as humans and less dependence. Like, you're be, kind of becoming dependent upon the autonomous car in a way. And really, like, it's ironic that he ends with that statement. I agree with his latter point, is that we got to keep from destroying ourselves, certainly, okay? And also, you know, we need to gain greater autonomy as individuals, as, you know, as, as a species, but most importantly, obviously, as an individual within that species, than dependence. Here's the funny thing with everything he's saying. All of these, te- a lot of the technologies that he bring up, Health Cubed and all that, like the modern, the, or, or how Microsoft Translator can do this, or how Skype, um, y- you know, functions, whatever, like is, is supposedly better than being on a huge view screen and all this. All of these technologies that he lists off that are somehow like remotely close to what's done in Star Trek have a fatal flaw. And that is they're not, they don't give you greater autonomy whatsoever. Um, and they, they, they are completely dependent technologies, dependent upon what? Dependent upon servers. Okay, here's the thing. Dr. McCoy's tricorder, Dr. Crusher's tricorder. Take your pick of the tricorder. Whoever's communicator. Okay, uh, you know, I mean, that could be the communicator that Captain Archer was walking around in Enterprise, or it could be the communicator that Kirk had, or the communicator that's on the badge that Picard was wearing. All of those, you know, all of those technologies that you see in Star Trek were worked independently. They did not require connection to a server. Microsoft Translate, Microsoft Translate only works when it or works as well as they like to make you think that it works. While you can download offline, uh, uh, you know, offline language packs to do the magical universal translator aspects of that in in more real time and so on like Skype you know is is very much able to do there's no offline language packs for you to download as far as that goes that all has to be done through Microsoft servers okay that's the rub is that like I watch Star Trek and I get excited about the technologies they have there but the nice thing about those technologies is that say you know I don't have I can't connect Sam on another planet right like apparently Musk's stainless steel fucking ship is going to do, which good luck, buddy. Uh, but uh, you know, like if if I'm on some other planet, if I had a Star Trek communicator, it would actually work just on that planet, and it doesn't need any servers to connect to. It would just function as is. The universal translator that I would wear on my lapel would, or that would function through the communicator, like you'd see in the original series, would just work. On the communicator, it would not need to connect to Microsoft servers. Okay, and this is what's fucking annoying about this. Is that, yeah, in the abstract sense, 
we're looking at the Star Trek future, but they're not really Star Trek technologies. Techno- Star, what you, a lot of technology that you see in science fiction, this is a point I brought up many times, but I want to reiterate it. A lot of technology that you see in science fiction, it is palatable to us because it's not, you know, like what you're doing with it and so on isn't being tracked by a government or it's not beholden to a server farm somewhere. It can work independently and it's usually very rough and tumble like a lot of Star Trek technologies are. Okay, whether the Enterprise near is nearby or not, McCoy's tricorder still works and it's not because he's connecting to some subspace transponder. Okay, it's because it everything fits in there. And this is what fucking annoys me is that I get it. It's amazing that, you know, a lot of the technologies and a lot of the ways that we can communicate and a lot of the things that we can do today. It really is remarkable. And it has a whiff. It has a whiff of Star Trek to it, but it's just a whiff. It's not it's not the full deal where independently in your hand, you are actually holding something that doesn't require to connect to Google servers, to Microsoft servers, and thus ultimately, uh, you know, be data that can be collected by governments or even, you know, whatever tech giant that just wants to sell it off to advertisers to fuck with your head. So I don't appreciate like I, I get what this person's saying. That, you know, wow, that Star Trek future is coming to 300 years sooner. No, not really. <laughs> not not really at all. When these technologies can work offline, completely independent, and they are tough as shit. Then we'll have the Star Then we'll have the actual future that Star Trek was showing us. OK, again, you really got to think about this. First off, the mo- one of the most important concepts to understand is what's called cinemagenic. A lot of technologies that you see in science fiction are made to look cool on the movie screen or TV screen or on your laptop. That doesn't actually mean that they're practical and they really work for you. The other thing is, is that most people lead, and I've, I've brought this up many times, so let's say it again. Most people lead a very boring life, and they do, okay? And, and I get it. It's monotonous. You know, you're just trying to pay for health care and all that. I'm not saying that to insult you necessarily. But most people lead a very boring life. They don't even need a tricorder. Do you understand? Like they, they don't need any of this stuff and they wouldn't know what to do with it if they had it. A lot of people buy gadgets and all this other stuff and, you know, they stop using them after a couple weeks uh, because, oh, you know, they say to themselves, oh, this is just like the thing I saw in that movie or I saw on that TV show. But then they realize it has no practical application in their lives because unlike the people in the movie or TV show, you don't actually do anything. Your life is fairly boring or standard or whatever. Now, you can change that, sure, and you, you, know, you can go forward and, and, and live it up. Then maybe some of those technologies would actually be useful for you. Like, I, you know, I bring this up often, like Google Glass. Remember when everybody was oh, so hot about Google Glass a few years ago? What was one of the things they would always demo? They would demo a guy like having a barometer in his eyeball while he's skiing. How many people do you know ski that much where they need to and, and are skiing at those you know, kind of altitudes where fuck a barometer is going to matter? No one, you know, almost nobody. I mean, that's totally like a thing for, for Silicon Valley bros to do. Yeah, you know, I'm not saying it's not a cool thing to do, sure, but I'm just saying that most people don't do that. And to try and sell it off to consumers that, oh, you know, holy, you can do this, you can do this. Look, consumers don't live that life. You're, I mean, you're, you're, you're trying to sell them a lifestyle when you don't, you know, a technology that applies to a lifestyle when you never sell, you never offer them or make possible for them the actual lifestyle to live that, to enjoy the technology in the way that you even demoed it. 
So the state of technology in 2018 is that it is making you more dependent. It is dependent in itself upon a lot of horsepower. It is not dependent. Your smartphone can do some things offline, but not a whole hell of a lot. And so, sorry, I'll take Captain Kirk's communicator any fucking day of the week. Okay, uh, you know, over what a smartphone can do, even if you think a smartphone can do more than what Kirk's communicator can do. Because Kirk's communicator can work completely independently. Okay, and also can, you know, connect to a starship, which what kind of fucking radio is that? That's badass. Anyway, all right, that's it for for that for for that story. I just wanted to open up with that. And I just I thought that that was, you know, you're selling people. I mean, that that's like that's marketing for Silicon Valley and Elon Musk so hard. It, I mean, but it's disgusting because it's just not accurate and it's really hiding some very uh, what I think are ugly truths that people don't want to realize. So anyway, we'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech. Woo! Hey, baby, I know, I know you are tired of Gmail. You have had enough. Well, I have a solution for you. What I want you to do is you go to Fastmail, okay? It's fastmail.sovereigntech.com. That's the URL you can use. You're going to get a discount with that. You are going to love this. This is email for email's sake. This company does nothing more. Just email and they do it right. All the latest security technologies you want to log into your account with your YubiKey, you can do that. Fastmail has your hookup. Very inexpensive plans. I want you to check it out. You go to fastmail.sovereigntech.com. That'll get you the hookup and it's an honor to have them as a part of Sovereign Tech. Woo! Let's get back to the show. Hack sick. Woo! You know, I'll tell you, I mean, look, I want that Star Trek future too, but again... We're not really developing. I mean, we're developing things, like I said, in the abstract that look like Star Trek technology. Okay. Uh, But really, we're becoming, and I, I said this years ago, it feels like we're becoming the Borg because we're all interconnected and not so much the Federation. Right. Now, also keep in mind that some of the things that really Star Trek was very much ahead of the times, especially decades ago, in showing what future technologies could be, not all of those were a good idea. Okay. Uh, For one, biometrics, which I remember seeing, and it's really the first time I remember, of course, I was a kid, it was the first time I ever really remember seeing it uh, in a, you know, in any, in any form, Um, and that was in in Star Trek II, where Kirk, to access the Genesis records, um, he does a retina scan to, you know, verify that it's him, and, you know, you see uh, some other biometrics, like where they go with a palm print and all these other things uh, in in other uh, movies and shows within Star Trek. So, you know, this idea of using biometrics, which, you know, I'll just say it right out front because I've been saying it for years, um, I am wholeheartedly in every single fucking way against, you know, as a security specialist, which I am, I, I'm complete. I never, ever, ever agree with the implementation of biometrics whatsoever. And one that's gotten people a little hot and bothered as late, uh, as in excited, is the idea of vein authentication. Well, at the recent Chaos Communication Congress, okay, which is uh, you know of course a very famous um, hacker conference that. Well, anyway, at some point I might get to one of these again. But uh, here's the story from Motherboard. Hackers make a fake hand to beat vein authentication. Oh, how about that 3D printing? That that great 3D printing technology? Well, guess what? That's a double-edged sword because it's also allowing a lot of people to 
uh, bypass a lot of security, which is supposedly why you're okay with handing over all your data and doing everything on various servers from other companies, you know, to bring on that abstract Star Trek future. Right. Anyway, uh, so let, let's let me read a little bit of the story here. Devices and security systems are increasingly using biometric authentication to let users in and in and keep hackers out, be that fingerprint sensors or perhaps the iPhone's face ID. Another method is so-called vein authentication, which, as the name implies, involves a computer scanning the shape, size, and position of a user's veins under the skin of their hand. But hackers have found a workaround for that, too. On Thursday at the annual Triple C, we'll call it that, uh, hacking conference in uh, Leipzig, Germany, security researchers described how they created a fake hand out of wax. They didn't even use the 3D printer. Fuck, they just went wax uh, to fool a vein sensor. Quote, it makes you feel, feel uneasy that the process is praised as a high security system, and then you modify a camera, take some cheap materials, and hack it. End quote. Uh, Jan, or Jan Chrysler, it's probably Jan. Jan Chrysler, who goes by the hand, uh, handle Starbug, and who researched the vein authentication system along with Julian Albrecht, uh, told Motherboard over email in German. Uh, vein authentication works with systems that compare a user's placements of veins under their skin compared to a copy on record. According to a recent report from German Newswire DPA, the BND, German's, uh, Germany's Signals Intelligence Agency, uses vein authentication in its new headquarter building in Berlin. So, you know, kind of their CIA, right? Uh, anyway, one attraction of a vein-based system over, say, a more traditional fingerprint system is that it may be typically harder for an attacker to learn how a user's veins are positioned under their skin, rather than lifting a fingerprint from a held object or high-quality photograph, for example. But with that said, Chrysler and Albrecht first took photos of their vein patterns. They used a converted SLR camera with the infrared filter removed. This allowed them to see the pattern of the veins under the skin. Quote, it's enough to take photos from a distance of five meters, and it might work to go to a press conference and take photos of them, end quote, uh, Chrysler explained. In all, the pair took over 2,500 pictures to over 30 days to perfect the process and find an image that worked. They then used that image to make a wax model of their hands, which included the vein detail. Quote, when we first spoofed the system, I was quite surprised that it was so easy, end quote, Chrysler said. Uh, anyway, it goes on a bit, and they explain how they made it all happen, but they were able to do it five meters away. I mean, that's pretty good to where you could be pretty innocuous with a, um, you know, very incognito with a camera and maybe get the veins of someone. Now you could say, well, you got to take 2,500 pictures or something. Okay, you know, this is this really takes some time. This takes some thought. It's not something that's, uh, it's still harder than trying to, or, you know, than, than lifting a fingerprint like they mentioned earlier. Sure, but then if you are implementing I mean, this is, you know, doing vein authentication, having a system set up for that is not a cheap proposition. Okay, we're talking multi thousands of dollars, if not more, uh, you know, to even try to implement that. And for it to get to become a consumer technology, it's still probably always going to be a very expensive proposition, even though Microsoft does have those consumer 4K cameras uh, coming out. That, that they want to use, like with Windows Hello and everything. Maybe they're looking into using vein authentication um, as well. Here's the thing. It is worthwhile. Something that was being protected by vein authentication, which you would assume is something that is either needs to be very secure or might even be high dollar or who knows what. Okay, it's very precious, very uh, high profile. Obviously, if you're looking to crack, crack vein authentication, you're willing to take the time over however many days and as many pictures as it takes to make that a reality and make that happen. OK, now there's no real thing. I mean, there's perfect math. There's perfect you know, math, encryption of math. But implementation is where imperfections come in. There's really no such thing as perfect security. OK, 
And maybe you just sell off vein authentication as, well, it's better than fingerprint, uh, you know, authentication. It's better than those biometrics. Uh, or it's better than, uh, you know, face ID, right? Which, by the way, there, there's... <laughs> Or are they using like mannequin heads? And uh, this is another recent story. In fact, I'll link to it in the show notes um, where they, they, they did a whole <laughs> they did a ton of research around this where they, they pretty much, yeah, used mannequin heads and it broke like every face lock on Android smartphones, Samsung or otherwise. I mean, it was just crazy. OK, so you can say, well, it's better than those. All right. But that's not a high bar, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like biometrics suck that's the message that's what i want you to be taken away with here okay a pin is going to be far more secure than vein authentication i mean just by leaps and fucking bounds i dare argue you are always going to be able to dupe biometrics okay but i mean look just look at this so the interesting thing is is people say well you know okay this technology is going to get better with time right like vein authentication will get more precise fingerprint reading will get more precise uh blah 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 now we talked about this in the past in the recent past on sovereign tech where you find out that with a lot of biometrics because you know there has to be some wiggle room in the software for there to be you know for your like say your fingerprint to be off just a little bit Otherwise, you almost never are going to get your, you know, your smartphone to unlock quickly and people would just stop using fingerprint readers. There needs to be some wiggle room in that. I mean, so there's that problem. And that also is what causes this issue where, you know, face unlock is easy to, uh, you know, to break using a mannequin. But as biometric technology improves, so does, like they said, they use an SLR camera. Camera technology improved, right, to where it actually allowed for a better spoof. So, I mean, you know, biometric uh, uh, technology security doesn't doesn't improve in a vacuum. Other technologies improve that can easily battle against or break entirely biometric security or maybe it doesn't even need technology. Right. Remember when when Apple ID first released, uh, it was a touch ID. Is that what you call it? Right. And, you know, their 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 fingerprint scanner and you could like put it up to your nipple and it would perfectly like it would just break right into it. It's hilarious. Bottom line being, if you're trying to secure data, you're trying to secure shit, whatever. There are far superior ways. They're not as convenient as biometrics, but then that's the old saying, right? The 10th law of thermodynamics. There's always a trade-off between security and convenience. Fuck biometrics. From Big Finish Productions. Blake 7, the classic audio adventures. I'm taking Liberator in on manual. We'll be in teleport range in two minutes. What the hell was that? Information. Liberator has been attacked. You don't say. Put up the force wall. Confirm. Message to all ground commanders. Initiate the final phase. Let's crush these rebels once and for all. My name is Avon. Kerr Avon. Kerr Avon. Our hostage arrives. But you may be unnecessary. As a hostage, it's nice to be superfluous. You can go to Blake7.com to find more of the new adventures of one of science fiction's greatest masterpieces. Blake7 at Blake7.com This week in Blockchain... You know, we only got a few minutes uh, for this segment this week. I just I want to get I, I want to comment on something. I think at the end of 2018, there has been a lot of stories. Obviously, 28 end of 2018, 
uh, cryptocurrencies and blockchain. I mean, blockchain itself is doing fine as a technology, but cryptocurrencies valuation wise aren't doing so hot as compared to the end of 2017. Right. No surprise to anybody. Um, I've seen a lot of stories, including a lot of people uh, within, you know, that are supposedly luminaries within the cryptocurrency and blockchain space coming out. And most of them are saying and, and you're reading headlines everywhere. Wall Street, not interested in Bitcoin. Wall Street, uh, not getting into cryptocurrencies and so on. Of course, then you see a story that Facebook's developing its own cryptocurrency, uh, which I told you and broke years ago. Uh, <laughs> This is not anything new. But regardless, um, yeah, you're seeing a lot of headlines that are poo-pooing once again. I mean, it feels like, I don't know, it feels like 2013 again, right? Where every, any time that, that a, a, a media outlet could rip on Bitcoin or could rip on blockchain, they do it. You know, I mean, they, they just, they'd spare, you know, how many times has Bitcoin been claimed dead, right? And we're getting another round of those stories right now. Um, I'm going to tell you just what I think about it. And there's a link in the show notes if you want to check some of them out. But here's my opinion on the matter. I think that a lot of these headlines and a lot of these stories, because most people don't actually read stories, they just see the headlines. Oh, Wall Street not interested in cryptocurrency. So they think that cryptocurrency has failed. Now, I'll be the first to admit that most cryptocurrencies and most blockchain projects are bullshit. They're pure bullshit. If, if not, I mean, they could be built on good intentions. If not, they're even straight up scams. Okay, I'll be the first to tell you that. But personally, I think that Wall Street thinks the exact opposite. And they know exactly what's going on. As far as or, you know, what where they see where, where Bitcoin could go, kind of like what we were talking about last week, um, we were saying, you know, how all these investors and tech execs, they want to run away when the shit hits the fan and that blockchain and cryptocurrencies is a great way to independently store your wealth. Right. I think they want to artificially. This is a way this is an old fashioned game of artificially lowering the, the value, you know, of a whatever commodity or a good of some kind, something with value so that somebody can either get out of it or what I think is actually going on is very much get into it. I still completely stand by the prediction that myself, Tim Draper's also made that in 2022, you know, you're looking at quarter million of Bitcoin. And I mean, Bitcoin, not Bitcoin cash, not Ethereum, not any of that. I mean, straight up Bitcoin. Okay. Lightning network, the whole thing. Woo. And I, you know, I could end up being wrong, but I think that this is, this is just a classic tactic at some point soon, it's going to get re- it might even get lower than it is significantly lower. And then someone's going to, you know, Wall Street's going to swoop in, buy up, buy up, buy up at a really cheap price and really have, uh, I mean, not a controlling presence, but, you know, they're going to have serious investment in something that, you know, is going to go through the roof. I'm not going to say to the moon, but through the roof in the next few years. That's what I think is really going on. So don't get depressed. Don't think, oh, shit, cryptocurrency's overblow. I don't think anyone listening to this would think that anyway. But that's my opinion of what's going on. And, you know, even if it were so, even if it were true that Wall Street really wasn't interested in Bitcoin and that they're not going to get into it or that, you know, whatever financial institutions aren't interested in getting into it, even if that were so, fine. It, then it doesn't have to be for them anyway. Who it needs to be, uh, I put a link in the show notes. PayPal like blocked all of the hacker news who I've read from their stories. I mean, they're a very, very trusted, very popular source in cybersecurity. Um, they, they, all of their PayPal accounts have been banned and like, there's like a 180 day hold on any funds that are in there in the first place. Permanently banned without giving a reason whatsoever. Now, I mean, Hacker News has been accepting Bitcoin for a long time, but this just goes to show who it's really for, for the people that, you know, for the activists, for the people that that 
that are really, you know, reporting on what's on serious stuff, maybe even controversial stuff, which sometimes the hacker news does. They, they, you want to talk about hot takes. They get some hot takes and ones that, you know, really, really rub the establishment the wrong way. Then that's the people who can use Bitcoin, you know, who can use cryptocurrencies and so on. The activists, the people living on the fringes, the people living in the cracks. Doesn't matter if Wall Street wants it or not. You know, as long as real people still need it, they'll have a real currency on their hands like cryptocurrencies, like Bitcoin, uh, you know, I think particularly, which is, uh, in my opinion, still standing strong. And, you know, my opinion on the matter is like, to, to say that Bitcoin's down, it's not down. It's still way up, right? I mean, it's still doing great compared to what it was. I mean, holy shit. How many people complain about something that was originally not even pennies and now it's up, you know, about $3,000 a shot? Give me a break. The attitude's so crazy. That's why this just feels like ugly marketing. This feels like a smear campaign so that people can buy in you know, at a, at a much lower price cause they didn't expect it to do what it did. So anyway, that that's, that's kind of my opinion on it. And we'll be right back with some more sovereign tech. Woo. We're going to talk about some good times here in a second. Hey, I know what you're thinking. Wow. This is a great fucking show. And you know what? I agree with you, and I'm not just saying it because I'm the host, Woo! but I am the podcast champion, baby, and let me tell you, if you want to help out the podcast champion, you want to help out the Golden Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Sav Zoo, the rated R radio star, and you want to make Sovereign Tech an even bigger show, here's how you do it, and don't worry, it's not for free, and you get something out of it. You go to Patreon, you go to patreon.com slash Sovereign Tech, S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech, patreon.com slash Sovereign Tech, become a Sovereign Tech patron, and you will get access to literally thousands of hours of bonus content. There's new content every week. You get to be in the live Q&A hangouts that we do every month. You get to access to the Wednesday Q&A. We do one every single week and it goes a good hour strong, if not longer, if needed, depending on how many questions there are. That's only for patrons. And all you got to do is at least a dollar a month. Some do significantly more and I'm honored by that, but become a patron, support the show, help it grow. Patreon.com slash Sovereign Tech. And I thank you to all the patrons already out there and all the ones to come. Patreon.com slash Sovereign Tech. Woo! Let's get back to the show. The Climax. It is time for the Climax, where I get to talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about. This segment has been around since episode one of Sovereign Tech, all those seven years ago. Uh, and, man, <laughs> I am going to talk about something, and we might go a few minutes over time, okay? Just a few, because I have a lot I want to say on this. I almost made it a Patreon exclusive, because there's really so much I want to say about it, but I don't think I have to say everything, because I want to implore you to go see this. Okay, even though maybe I don't need to, because the, this movie that I'm about to mention is looks like it's tracking to be a billion dollar film domestically, uh, I think, in the U.S. And I, I'm pretty sure that number was domestic. It was over nine hundred billion and it's only been out for a good two, three weeks. Maybe um, I am in awe at, 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 at this movie and I it, for a multitude of reasons. And what we're talking about is Aquaman. <laughs> OK, and I'm not the look, I'll say it straight out. I loved it. In fact, I didn't just love it. I fucking loved it. 
<laughs> like, like I was stunned, <laughs> you know, it, I, I, I was like, okay, well, you know, it's Aquaman. It's a DC movie. Yeah. Justice League and, and, you know, Batman V Superman, a little rough, even though I, I like the extended cut of that, uh, you know, but, but yeah, Wonder Woman was great. Man of Steel was great. Yeah. I, I, I think, you know, Aquaman, they might do all right. So I wasn't really expecting it to be bad, but I also wasn't expecting it to be mind blowing. Amazing. And I'm serious. In fact, next week, I think we're going to do for the climax, we're going to do my top picks for 2018, a bunch of different categories. I can tell you right now, this movie is taking top movie of 2018 straight up. It sure is fuck better than Last Jedi and Solo. Well, Last Jedi was 2017 technically, right? But <laughs> I mean, this, this, this was that good. But perhaps the most amazing thing about it, we'll, we'll talk about the movie here in a bit, okay? But perhaps the most amazing thing about it is you have to understand that now I am 37 years old, okay? I've been reading comic books at least since I was six years old. I can, re- I can remember, like, really getting my first Superman comics and some Batman back then, okay? Uh, I started off as a DC boy. I've stayed a DC boy. I like some Marvel stuff, but not a whole lot. Anyway, I've talked about that before. Um, in fact, recently I reviewed the Venom movie, which is kind of one of the latest. Not, it's not Into the Spider-Verse, which that's a whole other story. Uh, but the Venom movie, which I was like, yeah, you know, it's kind of standard fare, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I'll explain why because when i did the venom review i said that i'm tired of comic book movies comic book movies are stale they're too safe nothing dangerous is going to happen in them and all these origin stories or whatever else they they just they all run kind of the same or a lot of these you know singles films that come out of like teen films how like aquaman isn't it's kind of an origin story but you already knew him from justice league uh and this does take place after that so why am I amazed by this movie? I'll tell you in a second, because it did. It, it met the caveat that I gave during the Venom review. Uh, so Aquaman, it's Aquaman. This character, even just 20 years ago, before 19, pretty much before 1996, like 95 and 96, Aquaman was a fucking joke. Okay, like the idea, like if you told me, even if I was a little more conscious, if I was an adult in 1993 or 94, and you said to me, Brian, there's going to be an Aquaman movie in 20 years. And it's going to be one of the best movies. You you know, it's just going to be one of the most fun and best movies you're going to see in a long time. I would laugh at you. I would laugh so hard at you. Not because I can't believe that a comic book movie could be so good, but because it's Aquaman. You know, I mean, Aquaman was was the butt of when when society wasn't so uh, and and thankfully, you know, or I mean, thankfully now they are sensitive to homosexuality. But when it wasn't so sensitive to homosexuality, there were constant jokes about Aquaman being gay, wearing those green and orange tights and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it was just again, it was considered a fucking joke. And for that, for Aquaman now to not be seen as a joke and in fact to be a great film is positively remarkable (laughs) i mean just it's not like iron man like iron man i've talked about this before where you know iron man the first iron man movie is one of the best comic book movies of all time probably sits in the top three underneath i would say you know 78 superman and 87 batman right okay uh or say 89 whatever uh you know and the first michael keaton tim burton batman film um it, it sits right underneath those okay i mean those avengers movies are just you know that that's that's bullshit for people with add i'm just kidding i'm not making fun of people with add and add might not even be well that's another story 
But this movie will sit in my, I guess, top five comic book films uh, because Wonder Woman would probably easily take, you know, like the number four spot. And then I think this will take number five. You know, I mean, it's it's that it's that goddamn good. Now, to clarify, post-1996, when Aquaman would go through a major revamp and the comic book character itself would really have this not like a rebirth like the recent DC comic book line called Rebirth, but like a rebirth where, you know, he has the long hair, he has the beard, very much what Jason Momoa, who plays Aquaman or Arthur Curry uh, in, in the 2018 film that we're reviewing here, um, very much where that look comes from, that grizzled look. Okay, Aquaman would get that grizzled look, would get more of that throne of Atlantis. He'd be wearing the trident like he was a one-armed guy and his other arm, or, you know, one-handed person, and his other arm was a trident. I mean, like, he became this real badass after 1996. Now, you know, after 1996, yes, it's believable that people would get excited about Aquaman and that Aquaman could make for a great movie, okay? But I'm just saying in the annals, no, sorry, the annals <laughs> of comic book history, Aquaman is easily one of just the last characters that you would expect to have a great movie made out of them. Uh, also, I mean, Jason Momoa was, I mean, he was good. Actually, I, I really like him as an actor. He's done tremendous stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, going way back. Okay. Especially within science fiction. But he was good in Justice League last year's Justice League. But like he, he didn't stand out that much. You know, uh, even though he did have one of the better scenes with, um, you know, with Batman or Bruce Wayne, particularly, uh, you know, with Ben Affleck at the wheel uh, with that. But, yeah, I mean, so in 2006, a lot of people don't remember this, but in 2006, you know, I, I know everybody goes nuts about the CW and the CW DC universe and how it's really, oh, you know, Legends of whatever and Supergirl and The Flash. You know, there's all these TV shows and there's like the CW crossover universe with DC and everything. Um, you know, in 2006, the hot thing going and was I mean, it, it went what, eight, nine years or seven years. I, it went a good long while. And I think it was a tremendous show. Uh, Smallville. I mean, I love Smallville. As soon as season one was bullshit, but as soon as season two hit, I thought that show was amazing, right? And then I watched it all the way through, and I still actually read the further seasons that are uh, in comic book format because um, they've kind of continued the story. So, you know, but Smallville was like the hottest thing happening as far as comic book media, uh, you know, live action media at the time. It really was, um, you know, minus that, you know, Iron Man, the movie Iron Man would come out eventually. Uh, and actually, Al Go and Miles Miller, who made Smallville in 2006, they were going to make a spinoff series. They were going to start. I mean, that was on the CW or the WB at the time. Things got weird there. Right. Uh, and like UPN was merging and all this bullshit uh, anyway. <laughs> but they were going to do a spinoff of a TV show with Aquaman. In fact, they even filmed the pilot. Uh, and ironically, Justin Hartley, who would go on in Smallville to play, um, uh, you know, Green Arrow, you know, play Oliver Queen's character, who and he does just a much better job and is far more believable, believable and far cooler than the Arrow show that's out there now, which is absolutely horrendous. Uh, but anyway, Justin Hartley, before he became Green Arrow, <laughs> you know, in, in Smallville, he originally was going to play Arthur Curry, um, in, you know, and, and be and be Aquaman. And in fact, it's a very popular, they did finally release it like on iTunes and in some other services. And it was one of the most downloaded videos of its day and purchased videos of its day. People really liked it. And it, it got pretty good critic acclaim too. The only reason the show didn't get made, the Aquaman TV series in 06 didn't get made was because 
just that whole merger was going on with UPN and WB and everything. And lots of shows got the shrift from that. Like, uh, Enterprise got canceled completely because of that whole fucking merger. It had nothing to do with the ratings. I mean, Enterprise had better ratings than any of those, you know, any of those shows, any show on those two networks combined had. In fact, at the time, Enterprise had better ratings than Battlestar Galactica, which everybody was like, oh, fuck, Battlestar Galactica is so great. Oh, my God. So I'm going to come all over the TV screen. That show's so good. Enterprise had better ratings than that piece of shit. <laughs> you know, but Enterprise gets canceled because whatever there's a merger going on with networks okay but aquaman you know a show that people got really excited about uh later on as you could see and again is one was one of the most downloaded shows of its day uh you know for unfortunately didn't get to take shape but at the time i could believe that you know i mean i still would have made the same comment that well fuck you know it's aquaman i can't believe that there's an aquaman thing getting made and i couldn't believe there was an aquaman tv show but i watched it and i thought it was great too i mean i'm also glad that it didn't take off because justin hartley did such a great job as green arrow uh on smallville i mean he just was a phenomenal oliver queen totally believable and, and just played it up um but anyway, so yeah, now th- that's my point is that after 1996, yes, you can believe that Aquaman could make for a, you know, a very good piece of media. He could get serious. Um, now to talk about the 2018 Aquaman film and what makes it, why is this different? The Golden Stallion for years now has been complaining about comic book movies saying they're bullshit. They're tired. They're old. You know, no more of it. You know, why bother? The great ones have already been made. You know, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, so on. Uh, you know, why bother with another? Why is Aquaman? Why does this make the cut? Why does this, why does this get his, uh, you know, stamp of approval? Because it had a lot of visual flair. It it had a presentation that, and this is what I said during the Venom review. I said, you have to give us a visual style. You have to give us something that is so otherworldly, that just stands out from the pack, like Doctor Strange, where the visuals were just so, were well, no pun intended, strange and weird, that it made the film beautiful in and of itself. But if you're just going to go straight to head, with you know a comic book story or an origin story or something yeah it's going to be the same bullshit that we saw last year you know it's going to be the same fucking movie uh that it's going to be black Panther. well black panther had style so that kind of worked too that's the thing if it has style and this had a lot of style um a lot of neon like you know so with uh, spoiler alerts i guess i might put something out there but i don't really really need to tell you the story to for you to grasp you know just why this movie was so amazing okay um the and not to say that it's without its flaws all right i'll 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 certainly i'll certainly say that but there was a very impressive visual style with this so like when they go to atlantis of course aquaman is in the comic books the you know king of atlantis and so on um there is certainly you know that's that's definitely a plot point um within this movie okay now when they're showing off atlantean technology and atlantis in general and so on everything's very neon in fact I think this movie borrowed a lot of beats. I think uh, James Wan, who directed it, and uh, the screen screenplay was was David Leslie. Uh, anyway, yeah, I, I forget the exact name, but I think they borrowed a ton of beats from a 2010 movie called Tron Legacy. Of course, that should you know need no introduction from listeners of Sovereign Tech, but they, even just things that happen within the movie. Not just the neon style, but in like the outfits and the technology and everything, but even events that happen in the movie, certain fights were very reminiscent of like Rinsler versus Sam, 
you know, and in, in Tron Legacy and so on. And even the races feel very much like, or like the ghetto, there, there's certain, shall we say, getaway scenes that smack really hard of when Cora, Sam, and Kevin Flynn are getting away from Clue and Rinsler and so on in Tron Legacy. I mean, almost, they're almost shot for shot. And the neon just adds to it. Right. Like to where you, it really feels like the same kind of film. And people don't give Tron Legacy enough credit. I don't think they realize just how brilliant a film that was. But in general, people have horrible taste anyway. So Aquaman had a flourish to it and a look to it. And really a this is so you would think Justice League, you know, when we're talking about like the idea, oh, my God, there's going to be a Justice League movie, right? Or, you know, holy Satan, thank you. There's going to be a Justice League movie. That should be the biggest thing ever. Somehow, <laughs> somehow Aquaman ends up being like the biggest DC movie as far as like grand scale of things happening ever made. I mean, this is huge. There, there are battles in this. And maybe you think this is a spoiler, but there are battles in this. They are bigger than anything ever done by Peter Jackson in Lord of the Rings. I mean, they are fucking massive what goes on. And it just keeps getting bigger and crazier, like all the time. It's a very fast paced film, too. Uh, in fact, maybe one of the, the only real critique that I would have of it is that it I mean, and it's not exactly a critique because it, it didn't cross the border. And the border I'm talking about is is speaking of another comic book movie. In fact, comic book movies, unfortunately, that get forgotten when I think they're actually pretty great. Blade 2, okay, from what was that, 2001, 2002, something like that? Blade 2 with Wesley Snipes was the first movie, as, a, as myself, a dilettante or a connoisseur of action films, where I saw it, and I saw it in theaters, and I said, you know, that was too much action. <laughs> like, Because that movie just doesn't let up. It just keeps going and going, right? It's nonstop. And you don't even really get a whole lot of story. Uh, Aquaman almost got to that point where there's moments where things are quiet, but then there's always someone breaking down a wall or, you know, some like explosion that'll just suddenly happen or something like that, where it feels like it doesn't get the movie doesn't get a chance to breathe. OK, but it's not to the level of, of Blade 2 where Blade 2 crossed the line. I don't think Aquaman exactly crosses the line because some of the quieter moments are just some of the most fun. There's some very romantic stuff in it, which I thought was phenomenal. Uh, that is sorely missing, sorely missing in comic book movies today and you really i mean you know i mentioned earlier uh, i mean wonder woman kind of had the romance there was some some great sexual innuendo and, and jokes in that uh but you know the tim burton batman had had you know with vicky vale i mean there was there was a bit of romance there some interesting stuff certainly the 78 superman's one of the most romantic movies ever fucking made i mean just watch it and tell me i'm wrong <laughs> you know it's it is so romantic. Uh, I mean, the flying scene. Are you kidding me? That's a love. Well, I kind of have that love. So anyway, I'm not going to complain about that. But this had romance in it. I mean, it really it's a movie that just goddamn it had everything. Um, and again, for all the actors, I mean, it's amazing. You're getting Willem Dafoe playing, a, you know, effectively a good guy. Uh, he was I mean, he was just dynamite in it. Uh, Momoa, I thought, did a did a great job. Um, sometimes his jokes fell a little flat, a little too dude, but it worked. Patrick Wilson killed it as Ocean Master. I mean, just killed it. It, it was it was great. Amber Heard was fantastic as Mara. Nicole Kidman was great. You know, playing Arthur Curry's mom. Uh, you know, Atlanta or whatever. Uh, and here's here's actually here's here's the standout kind of the the dark horse as far as casting goes. There's two. One is is Tamura Morrison was in it and that was so great to see Django Fett in action 
right? I mean, seriously, like he, he plays Arthur Curry's, you know, he plays Aquaman's dad. Um, but to see, you know, the guy that all those clone troopers is based on back on the big screen, you know, since episode two, since Attack of the Clones, fantastic. I was so pleased to see him acting. Uh, and he has such a great presence and he really, I mean, this, this guy can act. I think a lot of people rip on him because of Django Fett. No, this motherfucker can act and he was great. Uh, so I really, really appreciated him being in that. That actually kind of helped put the film really over the top in the very beginning of it, including when they did the de-aging of him. But Graham McTavish was in it, did a fantastic job. Here's the other thing that kind of blew my mind. I can't believe that in 2018, I am talking about, talk about jokes that I, in about a month, in a month's time, am reviewing two Dolph Lundgren films. Dolph Lundgren was awesome in this. Is Nereus? He, I mean, great. You know, totally believable. Totally delivered his lines. Fantastic acting. I mean, I've seen him. I know he was like an arrow and everything. And, and you know, he, he at least he was great in that, even if the rest of the show sucked. Um, but. You know, we talked about Dolph Lundgren because he was in uh, Creed 2, which we reviewed uh, uh, just a few weeks back. I can't believe that we're doing that because I remember, you know, I remember when Lundgren was the big deal, you know, doing Punisher, doing Red Scorpion, of course, Rocky IV. Uh, you know, you go down the list of movies, one of a uh, movie that I actually, I reviewed three <laughs> Dolph Lundgren movies in 2018. But one was a classic, that being He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, or Masters of the Universe specifically, where he played He-Man. Um I remember when he was white hot in the 90s, everything was direct to video and it was considered a joke with Lundgren, even though he's a great actor. I mean, and he really is. Uh, I can't believe in 2018 that he is headlining, you know, box office winners inside of a month. I mean, this guy's the Christmas miracle for fuck's sake. So the acting was perfect. And I mean, just perfect. I mean, it, well, you get Nicole Kidman. Come on, you know, <laughs> and it, really. Uh, so love the acting. Uh, James Wan did a fantastic job directing. Uh, I think he actually did a better job than Zack Snyder could, or he sure as fuck did a better job than Joss Whedon could even dream of doing. Uh, James Wan has got to be one of the hottest tickets in, in Hollywood right now, as far as directors go. And kudos to him. Like I said, this movie did border on too much action, too fast to paced, not taking a breath, but it just bordered on that. And I, I think it gets the pass. Um, music wise, you got uh, Rupert Gregson Williams coming back, who also did the tremendous score for uh, Wonder Woman, which I was very impressed. I listen to that soundtrack all the time. Um, the soundtrack for this movie, it goes up and down. I mean, it has or, you know, it has a broad range. There's a lot of metal. Um, there is a lot of uh, electronica. OK, I mean, you, you get tons of tons of that. And there's some symphonic stuff as well as some uh, nice inclusions of classic songs like like actual you know rock songs or songs. Um, but also, I want to point out that the the inclusion of some synth wave, shall we say, music in this. That sounds very much like Daft Punk adds on for me what I think points at that the you know, James Wan or whoever was really looking at at Tron Legacy because there's points where, the, in fact, during the sequences that I mentioned that felt like Tron Legacy, the music even sounds like fucking Tron Legacy. Visuals, what's happening, and the music itself is Tron Legacy all the way. Uh, I am not complaining about that because, again, I think that that movie was Tron Legacy was brilliant, okay? Uh, but it's definitely there. But the soundtrack's awesome. In fact, even, I loved this in fact, I was saying it like a month back or a couple months back. 
that I miss in the 90s, you had a lot of these like, you know, kind of cheesy epic films like uh, uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, um, you know, Three Musketeers, Mask of Zorro, all three movies that I love. Okay, but, you know, these kind of cheesy, you know, kind of epic films and they'd have a cheesy like 90s love song at the end of it. Aquaman had like this cheesy 90s love song at the end of it. Not an actual 90s song, but like it was still what it had that same feel. And I was like, oh, that's great. You know, yeah, give us that nice song at the end. I, oh, this, this just this this movie really hit so many notes for me in what I think can make a movie uh, really fun. You know, I'm, I mean, it's not it's not Grand Illusions, okay, but it, it is a very fun uh, and in just an enjoyable, and you just can't believe what's going to happen next. I mean, you absolutely cannot guess what's going to happen next, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. In fact, it gets so big. Like, especially the battle sequences and everything, you know, when in, in Atlantis and so on. And it's so cool to see Atlantis. I am such a fan of the lore of Atlantis. And uh, I've really appreciated that both Marvel and DC uh, have spent a lot of time on developing kind of that, you know, this underwater nation. Right. Uh, that I think is really cool. Um, but this movie, Aquaman, gets to such a scale, such a scope of the action that's occurring, of what's happening, how many players are involved, you know, that, I mean, like the battle sequences and everything, I mean, the just the size of the armies and everything that's going on. Where do you go? Like, how do you, you know, this is going to be a huge movie. This, is, this movie is doing serious money, like, you know, almost record-breaking money. Where, where do you go next? Like, how do you do Aquaman 2? Because you can't get any bigger than the end of this movie. <laughs> like, I've got, it's crazy. Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, and, you know, and another thing, though, but also this was kind of an origin movie. I got to give them credit for how quickly maybe it's because of the base, because the concept of Aquaman is so basic how quickly they told the origin of Aquaman and they kind of interspersed it throughout the film that it didn't feel like your common comic book origin story. They really did a great job on that. And if, in fact, I love the fact that you, you see the Boston Aquarium in it um, and, and that, that Aquaman's effectively a new England boy as to where actually in the, the, uh, the one with the, uh, Jason Hartley, from 2006 that they were going to do the TV show. Uh, he was going to be in Florida, which that would have been fucking boring. Um, I think it's way cooler to have him like be in Maine, you know? So, so I, I, man, you know, it makes me, I, I'll tell you, usually I read the comic book and then I go and watch the movie and I'm like, wow, that movie sucked ass, you know, as far as comic book movies goes, this is one where I watch the movie and I go, you know, fuck, I want to start reading some Aquaman comic books. I don't know what greater compliment I could give a comic book movie. And you know, another thing quick, there's really two villains in this film. There's Ocean Master, who's, you know, Aquaman's brother, right? Half-brother. And there's Black Manta, which we all knew about Black Manta. I don't think everybody knew about Ocean Master until the trailers hit. But we knew Black Manta was coming. Uh, there's, there's two villains in this. And both of these villains, unlike every Marvel film ever made, okay, and most, and even some DC films, unfortunately, they they get developed you understand why they're doing what they're doing they have motivation like there is you know i mean everybody critiques this even people that love the marvel movies admit that the villains really get a short trip unless it's uh loki or something right like they, they don't get enough development uh you know you don't really understand they're just like they're the bad guy and that's it not so with aquaman you you really get a lot of depth and thrust as far as what's going on with both Black Manta and with Ocean Master in this movie. And I was just summarily impressed by that. Uh, you almost, in fact, 
I dare say you almost feel bad for the villains. Try that one on Marvel, where we feel bad for the villains. That doesn't fucking happen, okay? I mean, it just doesn't in a Marvel movie. So yeah, like I said, I, I'm going to put this like in this. If I asked to unseat like Batman Ninja or something, this this is in my top five. I'm, I'm going to put this in my top five uh, uh, comic book movies of all time. Like it's it's going to sit there, and that's not. A, I mean, there's only in my top five uh, comic book movies in history. There's only one Marvel film in that list. You know, everything else is either classic DC or now it's Wonder Woman and uh, and Aquaman. Bravo. Just fucking bravo to James Wan, Jason Momoa, and everybody at DC. You got yourselves a winner. Just when, you know, just when everybody thought that the DC movie universe or cinematic universe was going to fall apart uh, and was over, I mean, it might have kind of fallen apart, but you've got some strong characters that you can run with. You've got Wonder Woman that you can keep rocking with. You've got Aquaman that you can keep rocking with uh, and and keep it up <laughs> because because they're those the, i mean wonder woman and aquaman alone are better than every marvel just about every marvel movie that's come out in the past 10 years and i say specifically 10 years uh you know because they're not better than iron man but well wonder woman's up there but anyway i mean just just fucking brilliant dynamite so go see it don't wait for this one to come out in videos this is a movie on a grand scale okay think lord I'm, I'm dead serious think lord of the rings go see this in the theater go 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 hit it up in fact i saw it in rpx which is like regal cinemas sort of um like the, that's that's their their imax and wow uh, a lot of bass in that in fact it, it might have been a little bit of a, seeing it in rpx might have been a little bit of a negative like the seating was comfortable that was great uh but you know the sound with with so much subwoofer and because this was such an action dense film it almost took away from the movie again and maybe if i watched it uh you know with a different sound system something a little cleaner it, it might even be a better movie at that point so you know because i'm not really not going to take anything away from it so go catch aquaman i can't believe i'm talking about an aquaman movie i can't believe i'm talking about a great aquaman movie but I am. And there it is. So anyway, if you want to hear, you want to get geeky with me, the best place to do that is just to become a Sovereign Tech patron. Okay, I'm not leaving Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash Sovereign Tech or just go to SovereignTech.com and you'll get your hookup. And I talk about this kind of stuff all the time, along with all other manner of wild and crazy things and theories and who knows what, and user podcasts and game talk and that Star Wars update and Star Trek update and then weekly Q&As and all that. You want to ask me questions? You want to get you know get on me about my review of Aquaman? You can do that if you're a patron with the Wednesday Q&A. So please do check that out. Anyway, whoo, I, and I get co-hosts on there. It's, it's fucking awesome. I will see all of you whoo, on the other side. You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com. And connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love. And love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the evolution.